Do you know what time it is? It's time for the Workforce Show, where you will learn the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM. To all intelligent life and otherwise, welcome to the Brainstem Show on the Workforce Show at WERA 96.7 FM, Radio Arlington, and online at brainstemshow.org. I'm Aaron Bursiaga, and here we go. This is the Brainstem Show. You've tuned in because the game has changed in schoolhouses, on playing fields, in boardrooms, and on battlefields. Welcome to the Matrix. Welcome to a world defined by science, technology, engineering, and math. I'm your personal data scientist and AI engineer, and in this show we talk, and even debate a bit, with leaders in STEM on news, perspective, experiences, and career advice. We'll have some pop culture and sci-fi fun along the way. Let's dive into today's show. Dan Hudson is our guest today. Dan, let's get started by introducing you with two truths and a lie. So go ahead and give them to me in any order. All right. Number one, I have joined the likes of Ferdinand Magellan and have circumnavigated the globe. Magellan, number one. Number two, I was offered an opportunity to become an astronaut candidate for NASA, but turned it down. Hmm. Number three? And number three, I am constantly stopped on the streets in airports for autographs and selfies because people think I am the notorious Conor McGregor <laughs> of UFC fame. <laughs> you do have a fantastic beard, by the way. And I actually saw that he just retired today right. in the news. So That's I can right. see how that uh, would happen to you. Um, and I do believe you have circumnavigated the globe like Magellan. As much as I would have loved to see you be an astronaut, I think that's the lie. And you are correct. That is absolutely the lie. I, if, offered, if offered an opportunity to do that, I would have gladly accepted. I applied. I was among 18,000-plus uh, people who applied uh, but was not selected for it. I, I think uh, you and I uh, are similar in that we would gladly take a one-way trip to Mars. <laughs> hey, tell us a little bit about the Conor McGregor. I don't think I've ever had a guest on the show uh, uh, confused with a UFC fighter. <laughs> It happens all the time. Uh, foreign countries here in our own country uh, just be sitting down, having a meal, and I'll have somebody walk by, yo, Connor. That's hilarious. <laughs> I've, I've tried to convince uh, my wife that I should reach out to Dana White of the UFC and arrange uh, uh, my Connor, ver- or Connor versus Connor uh, matchup. <laughs> I know the it. audience can't see you right now, but folks, I am sitting across the table from the meanest looking nerd <laughs> <laughs> in DC. Awesome. Well, hey, Dan, you went uh, from a Bachelor of Science in Aerospace Engineering to Nuke School and qualifying as a submarine warfare officer, a Navy diver too. And then you popped back up and got a master's from the University of Maryland in Reliability Engineering. And then polished everything off with a PhD from John Hopkins in health policy and management. That is a mouthful. And also one heck of a journey from air to underwater and then from engineering to health. Dan, 
what are some common threads in scientific pleasures you found along the way from uh, aerospace to submarines up uh, through reliability engineering and, and health policy? Yeah. Quite a journey. Absolutely. Just listening to you describe it, it, it really paints a picture of how winding this path has been. Um, I think if you look across all the things that I've done, there are some common things that underlie uh, this journey that I've taken. Um, some of it having to do with uh, operating systems in a reliable way. And when you take a look at some of the other things I've, that I've done, there's a, a strong emphasis on ensuring safety uh, in various respects and protecting public health uh, toward the very end there. But aside from the common threads, I think uh, you know one, one of the messages that I like to convey in talking with people is that I wouldn't have charted this course uh, out in this way in the very beginning. Um, you know, I majored in aerospace engineering because at the time I was thinking about becoming an astronaut for NASA. You know, we just talked about that a moment ago. Uh, I trained to become a, a diver and submarine officer because I thought operating in remote, remote environments like that would well prepare me for becoming an astronaut and operating out in space. And then life happens, right? You, you get married, you have kids, and you your priorities change. And so you make some cor- course corrections along the way. And that's what I've done. Uh, yeah, I'm convinced that we can find uh, joy and satisfaction in uh, many different fields that we work in. And that's what I found. So from going from very complex systems, such as the nuclear reactions that take place inside a submarine, up to healthcare and policy management. What are the parallels there? Yeah. Well, uh, healthcare has been very interested in looking at organizations like nuclear power plants, nuclear submarines, nuclear powered aircraft carriers. They've been looking at them for uh, at least a decade now. Uh, back in 2000 timeframe, the Institute of Medicine published a report titled uh, Two Errors Human. And it underscored the problem of medical errors leading to preventable deaths. And so ever since then, the healthcare industry has been looking to things like nuclear power to figure out what kinds of principles and practices can we adopt from these organizations that operate in these really complex, dynamic environments where errors could lead to catastrophic consequences. But when you look at the safety record, accidents aren't happening as often as you uh, would expect them to. And so what can we learn from those types of industries? Yeah, so FAMIA, Failure Modes and Effects Analysis, certainly has huge consequences in uh, aboard nuclear submarines. But to see that be brought forward to, to how it might affect health policy management is very interesting. So your work at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and the grueling coursework exacted by the Nuclear Power School certainly punctuate your CV. What lessons learned do you apply to this day from those nuclear tour de force? Yeah, I think this gets back to what I was just talking about. Uh, The lessons that industries like healthcare have been trying to learn by taking a close look at industries like nuclear power. Some of the principles and practices that we've been able to identify there uh, translate very nicely into these other areas where, you know, we as people are, are fallible, we make mistakes. And so how can we design the system around them to help either prevent uh, those errors from occurring, or if they do occur, mitigate the potential harmful effects of those errors. And that I think is uh, a, a significant lesson learned by working in this nuclear space is that 
you know, we as people, we make mistakes. Dan, is there a history you can share with us that uh, exemplify that point? Yeah, I think, so when you take a look at a nuclear-powered submarine, has a, we had a crew of about 150 people, ranging from the commanding officer uh, down to some of the folks who are somewhat new uh, to the submarine, maybe uh, graduated from high school not that long ago, underwent some specialty training, wide range of people on this boat. Uh, but because of the nature of the work that we do, the, the nature of the hazard that we were uh, working with on a nuclear-powered submarine, every individual uh, on that boat was empowered to stop operations if they felt like uh, there was a potential unsafe condition, if there was the possibility of error. So there was this culture on board where people were empowered to speak up. Uh, and, and I see this, this kind of practice being really emphasized now in the healthcare sector. You think about an operating room. You have that same kind of hierarchy, so to speak, where there's an, a surgeon, uh, all the way down to the technicians who are uh, working with instru instruments in the room. Anybody in that room, if they see a potential unsafe condition, is being encouraged to, to speak out and speak up. Yeah, we see that really throughout all of our society, right? Yeah. The fail switches that we're building in yeah. and allowing everybody to report if they see something. Yeah, to see say something, something. See something, say something. That's yeah, right. uh, especially point here in D.C. Yeah. Hey, Dan, let's uh, switch real quick, and I'll have Charlie Q. the music. Dan, it's time for the Data Science Theater 3000. Time for a quick audience quiz. Here at the show, everybody knows we're big fans of campy sci-fi. So next, I'll give you a few clues to a favorite. You can say you know or you have no clue, but if you do, don't give it away. It's the audience's turn to respond with a correct answer. Here are three clues to a campy sci-fi film I am asking the audience to guess. Clue number one. Ernie Hudson, famous and immortal for portraying Winston in Ghostbusters 1 and 2, stated that playing the lead character in this movie was his personal favorite from all his career. Mm -hmm. Love Ernie Hudson. <laughs> Number two, the diamond that was thrown out of a balloon at the end of this movie was subsequently lost during the shoot and could not be returned to Herkimer Diamond Mines from whom it was borrowed. A good cause for movie insurance, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. And number three, the part of the 727 pilot was played by musician and pop icon Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> I hope he wasn't wasting away in Margaritaville. <laughs> Dan, does that give you a clue to the movie I'm alluding to? I'm an Ernie Hudson fan, so I think uh, I have an idea about where this is going. Yes. Don't give away the answer. But perhaps, have you got another clue? Well... My clue is that the audience should think about the continent of Africa. Perfect. You've got four clues to guess that can't be sci-fi movie. And if you think you have the answer, or if you want to dispute the clues, send your answers to mailroom at brainstemshow.org or tweet them directly to at brainstemshow 
or even kindly mail them in on the back of any unmarked $20 bill to Brainstem <laughs> Show, Care of the Workforce Show, 2701C Wilson Boulevard, Arlington, Virginia, 22201. And a winner will be randomly selected from all the correct answers received and will be sent some truly marvelous Brainstem Show swag. <laughs> Do I get a cut of this for that outstanding clue? You can leave another $20 bill, absolutely, with your answer. No problem. <laughs> okay. You're listening to The Brainstem Show, brought to you by The Workforce Show on WERA 96.7 FM. You can find more episodes on SoundCloud, MixCloud, and iTunes. Hi, I'm Cynthia Gurn, the executive producer of The Workforce Show. And I'm Charlie Ross, audio engineer. So we're going to uh, get back to our regularly scheduled program in just a couple of minutes. But first, we're here to ask you to take a moment to make this program and others like it possible by making a gift of $25, $50, $100 or more. You can pledge your support by going to www www.arlingtonmedia.org or www.wera.fm or by calling 703-524-2388. That's right. Listeners can directly support WERA's community producers by giving now. Their tax-deductible gifts will help provide Arlington and the surrounding area with the finest non-commercial talk and music radio in the region. Our members' generous pledges will go toward providing equipment and facilities that will help all of the more than 80 different shows that are currently on the schedule to continue. Well, that's a lot of great radio for very little money. WERA's volunteer producers give their time and their effort to provide our community with the very finest non-commercial community radio found anywhere. With your help, they will be able to continue to provide Arlington and the surrounding areas with thoughtful, inclusive, innovative, and compelling radio content. It's more important than ever to have a community radio station that features programs that celebrate our wonderful community and all the great people who are living and working here. It's not media, it's community radio, a completely different thing. You see, it's amazing what happens when you get people out from behind their computer screen into a place where they work together to create content that doesn't just confirm people's biases and prejudices, but actually explores the issues that matter to them, that informs them and helps them. So is that what they mean when they say that WERA builds communities? Yes, that's exactly what they mean. Media doesn't have to be polarizing. It doesn't have to incite the worst in us. It can be uplifting and inspiring and thought-provoking. And that's what you find on WERA 96.7 FM. You know, that's amazing. When you think about how much WERA's volunteer producers give to our community every day, But for them to keep giving to you, they need you to give to them because WERA isn't interrupted by commercials every two or three minutes. It's member-supported. That means that you're a big part of WERA, Arlington's only radio station. And if you agree that it's a wonderful thing to have a radio station that's dedicated to serving and not dividing our community, then we're asking you to take a moment right now to support WERA. You can call 703-524-2388 and make a contribution over the phone, or you can go to WERA.FM and do it online from your phone or computer. The easiest way to support the station is by becoming a staining member. You never have to worry about renewing your support. You just sign up and have your contribution automatically deducted from your credit card, and then forget about it. It takes just a few minutes to set up your sustaining membership on WERA.FM or by calling 703-524-2388. 
The sustaining membership is easier on your budget, and it keeps this station stronger by providing a steady stream of revenue throughout the year. Thank you, everybody, and hope you hope you uh, contribute and hope you find the programs you. All right, so let's uh, take another quick break and do a sci-fi and pop culture quote. So it's my turn to quiz you, Dan, oh, and boy. it's not a STEM show without a sci-fi pop culture quote. So we do this as a quiz. Can you name the person or character quoted in the following coming from history? The quote is, As soon as you discard scientific rigor, you are no longer a mathematician. You are a numerologist. Wow. Can you identify who or when that was said? I... Kind of a cult classic. Yeah, I... I, I wish I would have come up with the quote myself. <laughs> it's even it's even a bit disturbing. Yeah, it's a great quote. It's It comes from a, a slightly disturbing show, but that was from Darren Aronofsky's 1998 film about a paranoid, or was he, a paranoid mathematician, <laughs> Saul Robison, who searches for a key number that will unlock all the universal patterns found in nature. Bonus question before we get into it. The actor who played Saul Robison was Mark Margolis, best known for his role as Alberto the Shadow in Scarface. And he also starred in five other films directed by Darren Aronofsky. Can you name one of them? Wow. (laughs) My wife would be the first to tell you that I am terrible at pop culture quizzes. (laughs) This is why we partner so well on on Trivia Night. (laughs) Well, in 2000, he was in Requiem for a Dream, 2006, The Fountain, 2008, The Wrestler, 2010, Black Swan, and 2014, Noah. Wow. Anyways, eclectic directors and their movies aside, will you slow jam on that quote with me just a little bit? What parallels do you hear in it, and how can we see ourselves in that quote today? I'll say it again. As soon as you discard scientific rigor, you are no longer a mathematician, you're a numerologist. Well, the first thing that jumps out to me is there's a lot of hype around data science. You look around the landscape, a lot of boot camps popping up, a lot of uh, online courses available, um, aiming to produce data scientists that can fill this gap that exists. There's a need. Um, this quote talks about discarding scientific rigor, and the term itself, data science, has embedded within it science. Science. Right? So what I'm concerned about there is the potential for pr- mass-producing data scientists who don't fully appreciate the scientific process, the scientific I think method. you just coined a new term on the show today to say inspired by pop culture all the more. Data scientists and data numerologist. Which one are you? Oh boy, I am a data scientist <laughs> to right? to my core. But I, mean, I think, but I think we can say that to others, right? Those yeah. who are lacking the rigor. So let's actually flip that back to a question I wanted to ask you about those online courses, oftentimes called MOOCs, massive open online courses. I've seen on your CV that that you've completed a few. So so tell me, why are you a fan of those, and what are the dangers of those, as well as the benefits of those? Yeah. So first part of your question was, why am I a fan of them? I'm a fan of them because uh, it makes content accessible to uh, a very large audience that might not otherwise have access to that content at a relatively low cost. 
So for those who, Great for point. whatever reason, have barriers to getting into other parts of our education system, they have access to that information, which I think is so cool and valuable. Democratization of learning. Absolutely. Yeah. But. <laughs> and, and, and I think probably like any uh, course that you take, uh, we've all probably, those of us who have attended universities, we've probably taken courses where there's quite a bit of variation in, in the quality of the course. You find the same in, in MOOCs. Uh, so um, be, I, I, be I really appreciate having you say that, uh, a PhD on the show, uh, and I think that's important for all the listeners to appreciate, a PhD also taking open course, a PhD taking open online courses to further diversify their understanding and learning. So there are pros and there are cons to it. Yeah. What are what are some cons and then what are some other ways around? I think you've got a certification that maybe is a way that you've uh, uh, further cemented what that learning has done for you. Can you speak yeah. to that? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I don't rely entirely upon the experience that I've acquired through completing some of these online courses. And, and what I really, another thing that I like about them is that they provide you with an opportunity to keep your skills sharp in areas that you might not apply on a regular basis in your day-to-day -day job. That's what it's I- how you sharpen your saw. That's how I keep sharp in, in areas where I'm not necessarily applying mm -hmm. certain tools and techniques in my day-to-day -day work. So I think there's real value in that. But some of the cons, right? And we talked about it, it's, it's the potential quality issue, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you've taken some of these courses, uh, the, the, the way that you're measured, uh, the way that you're graded, um, I don't. I don't know that you can put a lot of stock in in those things. But you 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 mentioned a bit about a certification, and you and I both share the certification. Before before you share on that yeah. certification, I was going to ask you because I think this dovetails really well into that. Do you feel like you have ever been credentialized in front of a customer or in front of a, uh, an employer because of your MOOC or because of your certification or because of your degree, which which have led to which and which have been more impactful? So I think, I think uh, in terms of what has been most impactful, uh, without question, my degree has been the most impactful in, in terms of uh, establishing some baseline credibility with an audience. Uh, there's an implied uh, rigor that comes along with obtaining a PhD. Uh, and regardless of what your dissertation topic is, the fact that you have undertaken that process, you defined a specific scientific question that you wanted to answer, you formulated hypotheses, you conducted experiments or simulations, whatever you needed to do to generate the data to obtain insight and answer that question. Going through that process, it's a lot of work and effort, requires discipline, and those those kinds of general skills are transferable to so many areas. I appreciate that. That answer is, is excellent because it shows the life cycle, if you will, of learning. Learning a lot of little things through the MOOCs, certifying those things, and then getting the deep credential that comes with something like a PhD. So we kind of jumped over that thing in the middle there. Can, can we go back to that? Yeah. The certification? The certification, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so you and I are both uh, certified analytics professionals through the Institute for Operations Research and the Management Sciences. Uh, fantastic program. Uh, what really excited me about it is that uh, 
you, you and I both, you know, I think we were early adopters. Um, we learned about the program when they were first rolling it out. But what really excited me about it, my work that I've been doing for the past several years with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is hyper-focused, uh, performing risk analysis for nuclear power plants, trying to figure out what potential vulnerabilities exist and how we can inform decisions about how best to utilize our resources to make plants safer. That's a very, very small part of our world. I have broader interest in that. And what I loved about the Certified Analytics Professional Program is that it it provided a way for me to demonstrate that I have competency uh, that goes beyond the bounds of nuclear risk analysis. I can step through the process of formulating uh, an analytics problem and getting from uh, end to end developing solutions and also possess we haven't talked too much about it but too much about this this is a, a stem show but as you know uh, the the certified analytics professional program also requires demonstration of competency in soft skills uh, getting beyond just the technical aspects how we communicate with people things like that uh, so I, I really saw some value there in demonstrating competency in areas that you know we're going beyond the nuclear sector, and I think it played a role in this job that I'm about to undertake at ReefPoint Group. We heard a, uh, uh, a Conor McGregor lookalike say soft skills were important. <laughs> That's fantastic. But I think it is balancing those, those four aspects you just touched on, open courses, deep education, certification, and then, and then soft skills. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. That's the time we have, amazingly. It's gone by incredibly quickly, hasn't it, it, Dan? It flew by. It flew by. It does. It always does. But where can we find out more information about Conor McGregor and what he's up to? (laughs) Pretty sure you can. how about you? uh, You can find both of us on Twitter. I think he's uh, (laughs) at NotoriousMMA, if I remember correctly. And are you at uh, (laughs) NotoriousDBA? Not quite. I am at Dan Hudson, PhD. Uh, So you can find me there. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, that's the time we have for this show. Special thanks to WERA 96.7 FM, Radio Arlington. Cindy Gern is our producer, and Charlie Ross is on the dials as audio engineer and assistant producer. In best practice and homage, clearly. Our legal advisors are Dewey Cheatham and Howe, and the show's resident statistician is the esteemed Margin of Era. I'm Aaron Bursiaga. This has been The Brainstem Show. Remember, be a leader, not an algorithm. Adios and QED. Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.